Thank you. All right. Well, I want to greet you with shalom, but I think in these neck of the woods, we say shalom, y'all. <laughs> yeah. How many of you know what shalom means? All 10 of you. Okay. It means hello and goodbye. And sometimes we really don't know whether we're coming or going. But it also means peace. And you know what? I have peace in my heart today, and I know for sure where I'm going. Amen? And, you know, some of you, as you heard, my name is, my last name is McCoy. And you're probably wondering how a nice Jewish girl like me got the name McCoy. And I do want to assure you that I am 100% Jewish and 100% Christian. And my husband says that makes me 200% woman. And uh, I actually, uh, my maiden name is very Jewish. My maiden name is Wine, which is a very Jewish name. And uh, about 18 years ago, on May 1st, I became the real McCoy. So there you go. And I am really glad to be here. And I love when I see children, because children do play a very special part in Passover. This is a time when children will ask questions, like what happened in the land of Egypt and what happened in the land of bondage. And this is our way to teach our children our traditions, so they can then teach their children. Now, in fact, if you would ask a Jewish boy or a Jewish girl who the hero of Passover is, first he might tell you that Moses is the hero of Passover. And, well, we know that's true, but it really isn't quite the whole truth. In fact, if you were to ask a Jewish boy or girl who knows the Messiah that same question, he or she will probably tell you that the real hero of Passover is Jesus. Now, you might wonder, Lynn, what does Jesus have to do with Passover? Because after all, Passover is Jewish. So was Jesus. And, you know, Jesus celebrated Passover every year while he dwelt among us here on earth. And I think he's clearly pictured in all of the symbols of Passover. And even in the story of Passover itself. Because the message of Passover is the promise of redemption. And the story of Passover is the story of our liberation from bondage. So this morning, as I share with you this traditional Passover setting, it's my hope you'll see it as more than just an explanation of a nice commemorative meal, but you'll view it as I view it, as an object lesson on the life and the mission of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen? So I do want you to look closely this morning because I know if you do, you will see a picture of our Messiah's death, his resurrection, and even the promise and the hope of his return. Amen? All right. If you have Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 22. And you were handed, when you came in, one of these handy-dandy Christ in the Passover brochures. So if you open it up, there's some Hebrew words in there. There's even a little bit of Greek. So if you didn't get one, lift up your hand. We'll get one to you. And then later on, there's some hands going up. So if there's some cards left over, um, if you're a family, you can maybe share. Um, but keep those hands raised if you want one and you didn't get one. Um, and then later on, we'll talk about the um, tear-off part in a bit. Um, there'll be a test later, so I'm going to want you to make sure that you have that. So keep your hands raised high. And <clears throat> I'm going to turn in my Bible to Luke chapter 22. And this is actually the preparation for the Passover. And beginning in verse 7, it says this. Then came the first day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go, 
and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat. They said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. They left and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, the first night of Passover begins a seven-day holiday. It's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And during this time, we eat nothing which contains any leaven or yeast. And you might wonder, why no leaven or why no yeast? And you see, throughout Scripture, leaven was frequently used as a symbol for sin. Now, in olden times, just a small piece of leaven was used to ferment the entire portion of dough. And it was that leaven which caused that dough to rise or to become puffed up. Much as sin causes us to become puffed up in our own eyes. So during this time, we eat no leaven as a way of saying we want to break that daily sin cycle in our own lives. Now that's why in some Orthodox Jewish homes for six weeks prior to Passover, the house will undergo a complete spring cleaning. Now during this time, we'll remove all the, the cakes, the bread, the cereal, the Girl Scout cookies. Oh, sorry ladies. Anything which has any leaven or yeast in it. Now this is actually the work of the woman of the house, but did you notice Luke says that Jesus sent two men to prepare the Passover. Now, perhaps he sent two men because in Judaism, it's always the man who is standing before God. Not only when it comes to praying, but when it comes to certain ceremonial preparations as well. So if you think about it, well, that means a man should be doing the cleaning during these six weeks. Yeah. I like to call that another miracle of Passover. Yeah. Well, sorry, ladies, because our rabbis came up with a solution to their problem, and they explain it like this. Now, true, the house is spotless, because after all, the woman has spent the last six weeks cleaning and removing every speck of leaven, almost every speck. You see, she's taken just a few crumbs, and she's hidden them somewhere in the house, and it's up to the man to find them. So... The night before Passover, he returns home from work and he takes up some very strange cleaning tools. Now, you have to imagine that Peter and John took up very similar tools. Now, he takes a napkin, a wooden spoon, and a feather. And he goes on what we call Bedikat Chametz, the search for the leaven. Now, he'll also take with him a lit match or a lit candle. So by searching for the leaven, he's symbolically searching for the sin within his own heart. Now, let's see, where could those crumbs be? Well, they could be anywhere, up in the attic, down in the basement, behind the refrigerator, anywhere. But fortunately, she was good enough to hide those crumbs exactly where she hid them the year before <laughs> and the year before that, and you get the idea, right? Well, finally, he discovers these crumbs, and with a very steady hand, he sweeps the crumbs into the spoon with the feather. Now, these crumbs represent sin, so he is not permitted to touch them. Instead, he carefully wraps them in the napkin. 
Then he takes them down to a large bonfire in the courtyard of the synagogue. Now all of the men of the congregation have gathered there, and each in turn will throw his bundle of leaven into the flames. Then he returns home where he proudly proclaims, Now I have purged my home of all leaven. Just to be certain, he adds, may all manner of leaven which I have neither seen nor removed be considered null and void and as the dust of the earth. Amen. The house has been cleansed and the home is now ready for the Passover celebration. Now my ancestors were instructed to eat the Passover meal with their sandals on their feet and their staff in their hand. They were ready to go at a moment's notice. But today, well, today we relax and we recline on pillows. You see, in Middle Eastern society, only the free could recline at dinner, only the redeemed. And if you read further in the book of Luke, you will notice that Jesus did recline at the Passover. And you're all familiar with the famous painting of the Last Supper? Jesus and his disciples are all sitting on wooden chairs, aren't they? Highly unlikely that Jesus and his disciples were sitting on chairs that night. It's much more likely they were simply sitting on the floor and reclining on pillows. Now, the head of the Passover might put on special ceremonial garments. He wears a white robe called a kittle because white in Jewish tradition is the color of royalty. And Jewish men will often cover their heads as a sign of respect before God. But tonight... Instead of the usual yarmulke or skull cap, the head of the Passover will wear something a little more elaborate. It's called a mitre. Royal robes and the symbol of a crown because tonight the head of this Passover is a king. And as a king, he guides his family through the traditional Passover Seder. Now, Seder is a Hebrew word meaning order because the Passover celebration is going to follow a very specific order of service and that order is recorded here in this book this is called the Haggadah and that simply means the telling and if you come up here and take a look at any of these items later I would welcome you to come up you'll notice this book is not upside down but our Hebrew is written opposite of our English so the book is going to open that way as well I see that everything is just about ready now there is a customary greeting at Passover let all who are hungry come and eat. Well, I don't want you to get too excited because obviously I didn't cook for you all this morning. But the invitation will stand anyway. I want you to come and celebrate the Passover with me. And that Passover begins with the lighting of the candles. And this is usually the duty and the honor of the woman of the house. After lighting the candle, she recites a traditional Hebrew prayer that goes like this. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kedoshanu b'mitzvah ta'avitzivanu lahadlik ner shel Pesach. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by thy commandments and has commanded us to kindle the Passover lights. Amen. Well, Passover isn't just a meal. It's a banquet. And it isn't just a service, it's a ceremony. 
And while a meal and a service may take maybe one or two hours, the Passover celebration may take a total of four hours. Now, during that four hours, each adult will drink from his cup and then refill it four times. Now, the first cup is called the Kiddush cup or the cup of sanctification. Then comes the cup of plagues. Then the third cup, the cup of redemption. This is actually the focal point for the entire service. And then we come to the fourth cup, the cup of Hallel or the cup of praise. But it's with this first cup, the Kiddush cup or the cup of sanctification that the host will offer a blessing to sanctify the entire service to follow. Holding the Kiddush cup aloft, he offers praise and thanks to God Almighty, King of the universe, who created the fruit of the vine. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Pri Agafen Amen. Now the service has begun, and the youngest person present comes forward to ask the meaning of Passover. Now he or she will ask the traditional four questions, and these questions are chanted. They're found there in the Haggadah. And for me growing up, this was really my favorite time of the whole Passover because I come from a family of five children, and I'm considered the youngest by seven minutes. I have a twin brother that's nearly six feet tall. And so you can guess who got picked on every year to stand up and recite these four questions. Now, as I said, they are chanted in Hebrew, and the first one sounds like this. Which means, why is this night different from all other nights? Now, those of us who know the story of Passover explain that this is because of what the Lord did for me when he brought me out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, when the Lord redeemed me with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Redemption is the very heart of Passover. But Passover imparts more than God's message of redemption. It also imparts God's means of redemption through the sacrifice of a Passover lamb. My ancestors were instructed to take a spotless lamb, to roast it whole without breaking any of its bones, and then to apply its blood to the doors of our homes, first to the top of the door and then to the two side posts. Because of our obedience to God's command and because of our faith in the effectiveness of his provision, my ancestors were spared the ravages of that 10th plague that fell on the land of Egypt. Because when the Lord saw that blood on the door, death was forced to pass over. And that's where we get the name, Passover. In Hebrew, it's called Pesach, the holiday which commemorates the time when death passed over the houses of Israel because of the blood, the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb. What a mighty act of redemption. But what a picture of an even greater redemption through the sacrifice of another Passover lamb, the Lamb of God, Messiah Jesus. Now, just as none of the bones of those first lambs were broken, so none of Jesus' bones in his death were broken. And just as my ancestors had to apply in faith the blood of those lambs to the doors of their homes, so every one of us here must apply the blood of the Messiah to the doors of our hearts. I don't think it was any accident that when that blood dripped down from the top of the door, it formed the sign of a cross. The child asks another question. Why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread? 
And we explain, I'm going to explain by showing you this. In our haste, remember we had to eat the bread in haste. There wasn't time for it to rise. And this is called the matzah tosh or matzah pouch. Now inside this are three layers of unleavened bread or matzah. And each one is separated from the other by some cloth. The head of the Passover will remove the middle layer. He recites the blessing and then he breaks it in two. One half he sets aside, but the other half he gives a special name. It's called the afikomen. Now the afikomen is not a Hebrew word. The afikomen is actually a Greek word. And the afikomen literally means that which comes later. And that's exactly what happens. The afikomen will not be eaten yet. It's going to come later. But for now, the afikomen is wrapped in a white cloth. And then the afikomen is hidden from our view. It's buried. Now, no one else at the table knows where the afikomen's been hidden, but they'll have to find it later or the service won't be concluded. The child asks two more questions. Why on this night do we eat only bitter herbs? And why on this night do we dip twice when on all other nights we don't even dip once? Well, I'm going to explain by showing you this. This is called a Seder plate, and no, it is not used for deviled eggs, okay? A symbolic piece of food from our Passover service and placed into each one of these compartments, and all the symbols will play a part in the picture of redemption. Now, the first item on the Seder plate is this one. It's called carpus or greens, and we usually use lettuce or parsley. Now, these greens represent life. And before we eat them, we're going to dip them into salt water, which represents the tears of life. So by dipping, we're reminded that a life without redemption is like a life immersed in tears. We can also get a picture of what Jesus meant when he said, the one who dips with me will be the one to betray me. And this is called hazeret. This is the root of the bitter herb, and we'll generally use an onion or a horseradish root. This symbol reminds us that the root of life is bitter, as it certainly was for my ancestors when they were in the land of Egypt. And this is my favorite one of all. This is called maror. This is the bitter herb itself. This is ground horseradish. Now, those of us who are from the Northeast, I'm from Hartford, Connecticut, and we call this stuff Jewish Tristan. And especially if you're an allergy sufferer, let me tell you, this stuff really works. In fact, our rabbis tell us that we need to eat a full tablespoon of horseradish during our service. Yeah. Anyone know what happens when you eat a tablespoon of horseradish? Someone last week said you die. Well, I promise you won't die, but you are supposed to cry. You might wish you were dead. Uh, I'll tell you, I've done some satyrs where some of these kids just think that they can do anything, and man, they usually end up in the bathroom for a long time after this stuff. <laughs> You're welcome to try this later on. But again, we're supposed to cry because we're to remember the tears at this point in our service, the tears that our ancestors shed 
when they were in the land of Egypt, just like the Maror, uh, the, the Hazaret, the Maror reminds us of how bitter life is without redemption. So there's some matzah here, and they're, come on up later on, all right? All right, by way of contrast, we have a sweet mixture. This is called chorosit, and this represents the mortar that my ancestors used when they had to make bricks for Pharaoh. Now, this is just chopped apples, but normally this is made up of chopped apples, nuts, honey, raisins, a little manischewitz, and it tastes delicious. And you might wonder why such a sweet mixture is used to represent such bitter labor. Our rabbis have a wonderful explanation because they explain that even the bitterness of our life is sweetened by the promise of our redemption. Amen? And this is not an Easter egg. This is called the Hagiga. This is a name given to a special temple sacrifice, and we usually roast the egg to turn it brown. The Hagiga is a token of grief to my people. Grief over the destruction of the second temple in Jerusalem. Now, during our Passover service, this egg is broken open, sliced, given out to each person at the table, and before it's eaten, it's dipped in the salt water, which represents what? Tears, because this is a token of grief over the loss of our temple in Jerusalem. But this is not only a token of grief, this is also a symbol of new life. Now, the last item on the Seder plate is the most peculiar one of all. It's called the Zoroah. It's the shank bone of the lamb. You see, Passover is also known as the feast of the Passover lamb. Except at Passover, lamb is not served. You see, the lamb that used to be eaten at Passover were those Passover sacrifices. But in 70 AD, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, and so was the altar where those sacrifices were performed. So from that time to this day, no sacrifice has been made, and so no lamb is traditionally served at Passover. Instead, this shank bone, the Zoroah, as well as the egg, the Hagiga, reminds us of sacrifices which are no longer offered. Now, the presence of these two items, the egg and the shank bone, does raise a very interesting question. Without a temple, without an altar, and without a sacrifice, how is it possible for us to atone for our sins? You see, the law of Moses states very clearly, I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it's the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. But without a sacrifice, how is redemption possible? Without a lamb of God, how? Well, once, nearly 2,000 years ago, there lived a Jewish man. His name was Yochanan. And you know him better as John, John the Baptist. And one day as John was baptizing people in the River Jordan, he noticed another Jewish man. His name was Yeshua. And you know him better as Jesus. And John declared, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Because John understood that our atonement wasn't going to come any longer through those Passover sacrifices year after year after year. But our final ultimate atonement, our final ultimate sacrifice would come through the final Lamb of God, the Messiah Jesus. Now consider this, that of all the, the sacrifices performed at the temple and all the blood that ran down into the valley, not one drop of that blood permanently removed our sins. But one drop of Jesus' blood 
removes our sins, past, present, and future, as far as the east is from the west, because he truly is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Amen? Well, it's now time for the second cup, the cup of plagues. In Jewish tradition, a full cup represents complete joy. But in one sense, our joy is not so complete. And it's at this point in our Passover service that we're going to pour out some of the contents of this cup as we remember the plagues which were poured out on the Egyptians because we mourn their loss and we express sorrow over their destruction. There's an important lesson in this cup. You see, Pharaoh defied the will of God. He was repeatedly told what God wanted him to do, and yet his heart was hardened, and he said, no, I refuse, I will not. As a result, he brought death and destruction not only upon his land, but into his home because his son died as a result of his hard heart. Well, this morning, I wonder how many of us here have hard hearts, hmm? How many of us know what God is telling us to do, and yet we still keep saying, no, I refuse, I will not. Well, this morning I want to give you just a little piece of Jewish wisdom. If God is telling you to do something, do it. It did say it was a little piece of advice, right? Well, Passover is a night for rejoicing, a night for praising God. And I'm glad I can be here with all of you as a Jewish believer in Jesus and to praise him along with you. And I know the Lord has redeemed my ancestors from their bondage to Pharaoh in Egypt. But I also know the Lord has redeemed me from an even greater bondage, the bondage to my sin. And I really do believe it's only through Jesus that every one of us passes over from death to life. Amen? Now, this is the point in our Passover service where some of these items would be cleared off the table and our Passover feast begins. And as I said, I couldn't cook for you all, so I want you to kind of use your imaginations right now. Help me out. I want you to kind of think about the wonderful Easter meal you're going to have and smell the smells and hear the clank of pots and pans in the kitchen, but please do me a favor and don't envision a ham sitting in the middle of your table because that will not work for my Orthodox Jewish family, okay? A nice turkey, a nice chicken, that'll do nicely. But I want to draw your attention right now to the Back to the Christ in the Passover brochure. And I want you to go ahead and tear off that section that's perforated. This is the involvement section. You're going to keep this section, and I'm going to give you a prayer request that you can put on there in a moment. But this part of the card has a place for you to fill out. Bob has been here in the past, um, but I would like your prayers for my ministry as well, and I'd like you to know what's going on. I am stationed in Washington, D.C. I have been celebrating this month. I am celebrating my 30th year with the ministry of Jews for Jesus. That's because I started when I was 10 years old, and uh, if you believe that, I have a bridge to sell you. And... Um, but I want your prayers for my work. And even if you already get the newsletter, if you fill this out, I promise you I won't send you another newsletter. But it means a lot to me to know you're still standing with us. Make sure you include your email address. I'm going to tell you why you should include your email address in a moment. Because one of the things that we're doing, and again, I am stationed in Washington, D.C. I have served uh, in uh, Los Angeles for nine years. I met my husband when I moved in 1986 to Washington, 1996 rather, um, to uh, D.C. Thought I'd never get married. Ladies, how many of you are single and you're over 30 and you're like, it's never going to happen? I want to assure you that God saves the best for last, all right? 
Because I met my husband when I was 36 years old and got married at 38. And I have to tell you, my husband is uh, uh, at home. He's rehearsing because he is, among other things, a violinist. So he's played with every, he's played for inauguration concerts. He has played for Aretha Franklin. He's played for all the great divas. And, um, and yet we're poor as a church mouth. I don't understand how that happened, but that's the way it happens. So... But his gifts are great. And so I'd like your prayers for him as he, my husband, Wayman, W-A-Y-M-A-N, is at home back in Maryland and um, for what's going on in our ministry in Washington, D.C. One of the tools that we are using is called um, in, uh, getting uh, integrated into the Jewish community. We call it immersion. And so what we're doing is our, doing what we've never really done before. We get involved in the Jewish community. It used to be when we began in the 70s, it was us and them. And we decided, let's try something different. Let's go into the Jewish community. Let's make friends in the JCC, the Jewish Community Center. So I do things like I take a Hebrew class. I have uh, an Orthodox Jewish woman in my Hebrew class, and that uh, Tuesday, she asked me what I did for a living, and I said, well, I'm in ministry, because the whole class was there, and I didn't want to tell them all at once, but little by little, they're finding out who I am, that I'm a Jew for Jesus. They see my love for God, they see my knowledge about the scriptures, and they're now curious of what I do in my faith, so I'd like you to pray for my Hebrew class. One of the reasons, by the way, I'm taking Hebrew is because in 2018, the entire ministry of Jews for Jesus is going over to minister in Israel, particularly in Jerusalem. Now this is, we like to call it a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. And um, we've had an outreach there. We have a nonprofit uh, in the land of Israel in Tel Aviv. We have a campaign that's going to start in June, and we've had these smaller campaigns, but we're going to send the entire ministry over in 2018. So I'm hoping to become more and more fluent in the language. And the truth is, is that an Israeli appreciates, even if you understand a little bit, you can start a conversation. You don't have to be fluent. And so I'm trying to learn just a little bit that I can communicate, and hopefully one day I'll become um, much more conversational. Um, so we'd like your prayers. Uh, for what's going on in the land of Israel. And if you want to be part of praying for the Israeli team, by the way, the land of Israel, where Jesus lived and walked and had his ministry, the Jewish people do not know Jesus' real name. His Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation. But many years ago, the rabbis gave him another name. It's an anachronym, and every word stands for, every letter stands for a word. They call him Yeshu. And what it stands for is may his name and memory be blotted out. So in the scriptures when it says we will curse his name all day long, they mean it. Israelis have no idea that Yeshu is a curse. And so we're trying to engage the community by explaining that Yeshu the curse is Yeshua the Savior, is Yeshua salvation. And so we have big billboards and banners and television ads all over Israel. And so we need your prayers because I have to tell you, when I was in Jerusalem in the 90s, I was actually arrested um, for handing out gospel tracts at the central bus station. I've also been arrested a couple other times. Kids, don't try this at home. Um, but it was all illegal uh, on the part of the police. It was legal what I was doing. And my two arrests were at Pierce College. And you you know, last week I got a news report on the news, the national news, 
that another guy was arrested for just handing out the Constitution at Pierce College. He was arrested. And so he, they're probably going to use our lawsuit in order to win his case. So um, pray for our, our rights. Jews for Jesus have been fighting these rights all over the country to keep your religious freedoms free. And so we want you to pray for us because we don't take these battles lightly. We decided years ago that if it becomes illegal to proclaim the gospel, we're going to have to become outlaws for Christ. And I have had, uh, I was arrested at the, at the uh, central bus station in Israel. I've been arrested in Los Angeles. I was threatened with arrest in other parts of the country, like Portland, Oregon, where I had to tell the port the head of the Port Authority wanted me to fill out a, a First Amendment right permit. And I got on the phone with him. I said, you do realize that if I fill this out, it's against my First Amendment right. Do you get this? Do you hear me? <laughs> and he's like, gulp, uh, okay. And I said, good, because I'm coming back there. I'm going to be there for two hours, and you better leave me alone. And they did. I might be only four feet, ten inches, but you know what? I've got the Holy Spirit on my side. Amen? <laughs> and so do you. And so we use these means. One of the things that my husband is a violinist, my husband is a very, very fair-skinned African-American. Most of our friends don't even know that he's black. And he is able to, to minister to people that won't accept me a Jew for Jesus. And so one of the things he does is he witnesses to all the violinists, all the Jewish violinists, including someone that I'd like you to pray for. His name is Simeon. S-E-M-Y-O-N. So what he does is he goes fishing, and together we reel him in. Because sometimes it's heavy and it's hard. And so we invite Simeon, who is, uh, was raised as an atheist in Russia, and he comes to our house frequently. We have Shabbat dinners on Friday night, and we share the gospel with him. And so by this means, by doing these small uh, seders, we have Passover seders in our house, we have Shabbat dinners, I love to cook, so why not use the gifts that God gave you? I also, I love to do nails. I did my nails quickly before I got on the plane yesterday, a French manicure. So guess what I do? I invite unsaved Jewish women. Come to my house, sit, we'll have a cup of coffee, I'll do your nails, and then I tell them the gospel. I have, my, I have them in my hand, you know? Use those gifts God gives you, all right? God, you know, we serve a Jewish Messiah. He's Jewish. He never let anything go to waste, all right? So we don't want to let any of those gifts go to waste. So we, we have used each of our gifts. And so um, I want you to pray for my ministry there, for the classes we're taking part in, for the Shabbat dinners, for meeting people in the Jewish community, and that God gives us more creativity to do those things. I'm even playing Scrabble at the Jewish Community Center with old Jewish ladies. And let me tell you, these women, they've been playing for 40 years. Three hours of Scrabble, I feel like my head's going to explode. But I do it unto the Lord, okay? So pray for me. All that to say um, that I'd love you to stand with us, and that's why I want you to get the newsletter, and there's also a literature table back there. There's lots of things on that table that are free, including this book called Christ in the Passover that goes into much more detail than I can go into this morning. There's even a t-shirt there that um, you can pre-order. I can have that shipped to you. It's in many different sizes. Um, but come to the literature table, and I'll be able to answer any questions that you have. 
And also, if you give a gift to the work of Jews for Jesus, you can give a gift even by credit card. I also have a uh, handy-dandy uh, swipe um, and contact list reader if you want to give that way. Um, but if you give a gift, just know your gifts are going to go into direct evangelism. It'll go for the printing of our gospel tracts, our phone calls, our gasoline, and it's even been used to bail me out of jail a few times. So there you go. All right. So this is now the end of the meal. And after the meal comes the third cup, the cup of redemption. Does this sound familiar? It should, because this is the origin of our communion service. But not only that, consider this. Where else can we find a clearer picture of our Messiah than in the custom concerning the Afikomen? And we need to find that afikomen. And so uh, where are my kids? Are there any kids, preferably under 410? Yeah, you want to come find it? Remember, what, what was the, uh, the, uh, the bread called again? I just said it. The afikomen, that which comes later. It's usually the last thing in a Passover Seder. You serve your entire meal, and the last thing that it is eaten at the Passover Seder is the Afi Komen. So go ahead and bring it back. Do you remember where I hid it? Okay, go ahead. Very nice. Thank you. What's your name? Sophia. Sophia. Let's give Sophia a hand clap. Thank you, Sophia. You can be seated now. Now, normally when the Afi Komen is returned to the head of the the Passover, it's redeemed for a prize, usually five or ten dollars, but unfortunately, this is the beginning of a very long tour. And I would go broke, so sorry, Sophia. <laughs> but when the Afikomen is found, returned to the head of the Passover, it's broken again. Now, each person at the table will receive a piece of the Afikomen about the size of an olive. And then this olive-sized piece is then taken along with the third cup, the cup of redemption. Sound familiar? It should. This is the origin of our communion service. But not only that, consider this. Where else can we find a clearer picture of our Messiah in the custom concerning the Afikomen, which was broken, buried, and then brought back? Even the bread, which is unleavened, a symbol of a sinless nature, speaks of our Messiah, Jesus. Now, I can see our Messiah not only in this custom concerning the Afikomen, but in the matzatash as well. Remember this pouch containing those three layers of unleavened bread? There's quite a bit of disagreement among our rabbis as to the meaning of this pouch, this mysterious three-in-one now, some rabbis teach that the three matzahs represents the three divisions of worship in the ancient kingdom, the priests, the Levites, and the people of Israel. But then why was that middle matzah broken, buried, and then brought back? No one knows. And this answer doesn't give us a satisfactory explanation, but why search for explanations? Why not just accept the answer which is so clearly suggested in the very design of this matzatash itself because there's three layers here, and yet they form a unity, a triunity. Now, a Hebrew word which may help us understand this unity is the word ikad, and it brings to my mind the words of God given to us through Moses. When he declared, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. 
But the word that's used for one is the word ikhar. And it literally means a unity of one. And the Passover, the head of the household, removes the middle layer of this unity, this ikhar, while the other two remain hidden from our view. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, he gave the right, the privilege to be called the children of God, even those who believe on his name. Now we Jews who know the Messiah know also that the Matzatash bears witness to the unity of one God revealed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Why was the middle matzah broken, buried, and then brought back? I believe it's because Jesus was broken, buried, and then he was brought back. That bread that was taken that night of the Last Supper was known as the bread of affliction. It reminded us of the affliction we suffered in the land of Egypt under the hand of Pharaoh. But when Jesus took it that night, he gave an entirely new meaning to it, saying, I am going to become broken and afflicted for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's now time for that third cup, the cup of redemption. The fruit of the vine at Passover is always red. Now, our rabbis say that's to remind us of the precious blood of the first Passover lamb. That lamb was sacrificed in order to buy us back or redeem us from our slavery and our bondage to Pharaoh in Egypt. In much the same way, in a much greater way, another sacrifice was made, that of Messiah Jesus in order to redeem us or buy us back from our slavery and our bondage to our sin. It was concerning this cup, the cup of redemption, the third cup taken after dinner, that Jesus took and said, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The very same covenant promised to us by God through the prophet Jeremiah. He had declared, behold, days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And after those days, I'll put my law within them and on their hearts, I will write it and they will be my people and I will be their God. The cup of redemption and the peace of Afi Komen are taken together as we remember the precious blood and body of those first Passover lambs. My Passover lamb is Jesus. And I know that for certain because spiritually I have partaken of the cup of redemption. Spiritually, I know that my sins have been bought and paid for by the Lamb of God. Amen? And now it's time for the fourth cup, the cup of praise. All of you know a Hebrew word, but you may not know the word is Hebrew. It's hallelujah, and it means praise the Lord. Now, the first part of that word is hallel, and that means praise. And this is the most joyous time in the whole Passover celebration. When we sing, we rejoice, and we praise the Lord. But being raised in an Orthodox Jewish home, not knowing who I was, not knowing whether or not I was going to survive another year because of my childhood, wasn't until 1983 when a Jews for Jesus came on the, the University of Hartford's campus and there I heard the gospel for the first time. And about a month later, when I came to faith in Jesus Christ, I'll tell you, I realized that my very first Seder, that I could truly now 
Because I partook of the cup of redemption spiritually, I could truly partake in the cup of praise. Amen? Well, then there's one last cup that I haven't told you anything about. This is the cup of Elijah. This is the cup from which no one drinks. In fact, in many Jewish homes like my own, an entire place setting was left completely untouched, all for the prophet Elijah. Why this great longing for this prophet Elijah? It's recorded by the Hebrew prophet Malachi that before the Messiah comes, he'll be preceded by the, by the prophet Elijah. And Jesus said, you know, we have a lot of explanations for who John the Baptist is, for whether or not he was a prophet. And Jesus said of him that if you believe in me, you'll believe in Elijah, you'll believe in John the Baptist. And I do believe that John the Baptist is Elijah, the one the prophets were speaking of. But you know what? More importantly than believing in Elijah, I believe the Messiah. I believe my Messiah has come. Jewish people all over the world, next Sunday night, the very first night of Passover, Jewish people all over the world will go to their doors. They'll look for Elijah because if Elijah drinks a little of this cup, we would know he has come to proclaim our Messiah. Well, I know that Elijah has come and I know the Messiah has come. But Jewish people all over the world will close their doors and they'll say, not this year, maybe next year. And they close out their ceremony with next year in Jerusalem. Maybe next year he'll come. But for those of us as believers in Jesus, we can cry out to God also in this season. Next year in Jerusalem, may our Messiah Jesus return. Amen? Now, as I opened, I opened with that little word, shalom. Remember, shalom means hello and goodbye, so I'm going to close with shalom. And before I do, I'm going to teach you one more Hebrew word, and that word is thank you. So as I leave you this morning, I'm going to bid you shalom, toda, thank you.